Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome President Ron Slinger to our show. Ron is the president of Miles Community College in Miles City, Montana. Ron, I am so happy that you're on our show today. Thanks, Dave. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate the invitation. So can you talk a little bit about Miles Community College and why students select MCC? Oh, absolutely. So uh, Miles is a, is a small rural community college located in eastern Montana Plains. Uh, we are basically your social, educational, entertainment, and cultural hub for this entire region. Uh, we're small. You know, we only have uh, 67 full-time employees. Our annual budget's $11.5 million. Our general fund budget's only $5.6 million. So um, we have an annualized headcount of right around 1,000 students. Our annualized FTE is uh, about 587, I believe, this last year. Um, but students, you asked why students select MCC, and I think it's because Quite frankly, we're, we're a full service campus. We're, we're really provide a robust campus experience for our students. We have residence life, we have athletics. Um, we're, we're, we're just not your traditional commuter uh, community college that you see in the larger cities. So uh, people really look at us, you know, in, in some ways, we're very similar to a, a liberal arts uh, college, where it's a two year version with transfer, but also very robust uh, career tech ed programs. So what's your most popular programs out there right now? So obviously we're in the ag, right? Uh, agriculture area. So ag's very big, but also our healthcare programs. So we have uh, nursing. Uh, that's, that's a bellwether program for us. And in fact, we're looking to try and expand our uh, healthcare programs by doing a, a project that we're working on right now, Dave, that's a uh, workforce environmental scan. So we're looking at 17 counties on Eastern Plains and trying to uh, evaluate and um, survey all of the various, and there's a huge variety of uh, healthcare providers, whether it's assisted living clinics, nursing homes, uh, whether it is uh, hospitals. Um, and really we're trying to learn what's their current employment um, workforce needs, what are those needs five years from now under projections? And then also, what are their needs at full build out? That way we can plug all that information and be very data driven as we look at what healthcare programs we might need to add and expand. Yeah, you know, thinking back since I'm in Billings, I, I've met a few uh, uh, potential students that I thought were either going to go to Billings or Bozeman or or you know Missoula, and they and they ended up in in, in Miles City. So, That's right. so you, so you do good. <laughs> we do, we do. Okay. I uh, know we, we actually get a very robust uh, uh, number of applicants. So uh, from all over the state, actually. So uh, yeah, we're very fortunate. We have a very strong program. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what's new out at Miles Community College for like 2021 and beyond. Absolutely. So, um, you know, despite the whole uh, COVID pandemic, we, uh, you know, we've still been moving forward, you know, not just dealing with that, but also just aggressively looking at the future and what's and responding 
as any community college should to the workforce needs of uh, our area. So like we, we've started a statewide meat processing program uh, that has been incredibly well received, but you know, it's different when you start one of those at a small school like this with such a limited budget. So, um, you know, I don't have uh, a bunch of extra money sitting around where I can uh, just take a, a flyer on a program and invest money. So um, we really, the, the way I was able to convince our board of trustees to let us move forward was um, I promised them that I'd raise $300,000 from private dollars. Uh, so that way we'd have um, three years operating capital and it wouldn't be an effect on our general fund budget. So I'm happy to say that we're um, as of uh, last week, we're at about 195,000 raised. Wow, good so for we, you. Well, thanks. So we, we basically have the first two years of the program now um, funded. We have some other um, interested parties in the works that we're hoping to still get to that 300 number. Um, but we're, we're confident moving forward. And, uh, and that's really anyone that knows anything about uh, uh, rural economies and, and meat processing. It's just been a nightmare for them to try and process uh, animals. And so uh, it's a growing budding industry. So um, we also, I'm really excited about this one, Dave. The We just signed, uh, finished signing an articulation agreement that's gonna allow us to offer an elementary education bachelor's degree here at Miles Community College with articulation with uh, Dickinson State. Um, university. So, and the really great thing about this is that they literally, their students can finish the entire degree on our campus. Dickinson State's actually going to send their faculty here um, for the third and fourth year. Uh, and so uh, it's really exciting because if you look at rural Montana, especially, uh, we have a lot of these really small school districts. And and they're signing these waivers to have people that are just paraeducators um, actually teaching second grade, but they're doing it under the license of a third grade teacher and so forth. So it's a huge problem for them to be able to recruit. Um, so we actually uh, actually just met with the area superintendents um, the last Wednesday and we promoted the program and, and they absolutely loved it. In fact, we're getting um, so much response that I think we might be able to actually have two cohorts start um, this spring. So it's pretty exciting. That is so interesting. So so let me get this right. You, as a, as a two-year community college, will be hosting a four-year degree on your campus. Yes, we will. And, and the really great thing is that we, uh, uh, so if, if the individuals who are taking that in Eastern Montana, they won't have to leave their community. They can, they can just come over to our campus maybe twice a month on a weekend. Um, and the classes they'll be taking will be offered in the evening. So we're really being aggressive trying to respond to that workforce need. And, um, I'll be honest, the, the more of those programs we can do, the better. That'll be our growth. That'll be um, our future um, as a school. You know, they're not, I, I always joke, they're not making any more 18 year olds, right? Uh, high school students' uh, population's going down. Um, towns around here are shrinking. So what we really need to do is look for opportunities for those 25 to 45 year olds that are uh, working in some capacity where uh, maybe they're underemployed. Maybe they, they should be looking at some more careers. Um, and so it's exciting. We, and another one, we literally just got done signing the articulation agreement with uh, Montana Tech. We're going to be offering engineering here at, at Miles. That's a game changer for our area too. Um, 
And then, you know, we, we're just being aggressive. I think one of the things that you're going to see at Miles in the next year is we're going to develop what's called a university center, um, university center model, where we're basically allowing these four-year schools, in this case, Dickinson State's a perfect example, we're allowing, allowing them to plant a flag on our campus because the bottom line is it's going to allow us to increase our program offerings, um, better serve our community, and at minimal cost. And uh, and I think everyone wins in that situation. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to hear about you also uh, teaming up with, with my old college, Mont heading out yeah. back to Montana Tech to promote a, a great engineering uh, program. So it's a two plus two that you're doing with them. That's right. That's right. And you know the exciting thing there, Dave, is you know community colleges always have the problem of. Um, being that stepchild, right? Being considered like less than when really we're not. I mean, I, uh, I'll be honest. I, I, I've got faculty members that that have their degrees from Notre Dame, from Texas A&M University. It's just the fact that they live in this rural area. Um, it doesn't mean we're less than. It just means that they have family and ties, and that's where they live. And uh, and I really, it always really bothers me when people they they kind of poo-poo the uh, community college or two-year education when in fact uh, we're just as just as qualified and just as um, in uh, rigor is really there and um, I think the opportunities are there and I think uh, the more of these programs we can it raises our profile which allows us to uh, recruit a whole different you know set of students I mean when you think about that engineering two and two with Montana Tech well, now, I mean, we can aggressively go after every single honor student in Eastern Montana because they actually can come here first. You know, our slogan at Miles Community College is start here and go anywhere. And uh, in that case, every time we build one of those degrees, we're just honoring that slogan. Yeah, I, I from my opinion, it's, it's all about collaboration down the road. I think, and I think the two-year schools like yourself that's doing that, is going to be so successful in the future. I love the idea about Dickinson's also just planting a flag and also showing up in your back door <laughs> to come That's in right. and, and doing a class. So there's all different ways to do this. It's just it's just so interesting to watch how how two year schools are now evolving. It's you know where before you know as you said people may poo poo that idea, but truly they just didn't know. Today. Uh, there's so many opportunities that's just more than just going in and getting a certificate. You know, we're not, as they say, you're not the old Votech colleges from, from way back when, you know, you're, you're cutting edge and, and your rigor is there. So might as well just head down to the street and pick up a class and, and move on towards your degree. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think, uh, and, and the more of these schools, um, like Montana Tactics, and, uh, that partner with us, I think it does. I, I think it just goes to show that uh, they value the credits also. I mean, these there's, there's a reason why you have the uh, uh, common course numbering system. Is that English 121 at Miles is English 121 at Montana, Montana State, Dickinson State, Montana Tech. It does not matter. I mean, th there's a reason why we have that. And... Um, boy, I have to tell you, you, you can save an awful lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, as, as a parent, that's always a nice thing to hear. Too. It is. <laughs> you know? It is. So, you know, when I'm looking at your bio, you became the president, actually the ninth president of mm -hmm. uh, Miles Community College, January 2020. I, I kind of remember that because you were out at my school. 
not too long after that, and I, and I got to meet you. Uh, prior to you becoming uh, the Miles Community College president, you were the vice president for institutional advancement, strategic partnerships, and workforce solutions at Red Rock Community College. It looks like you started at Red Rock around 2011 as the executive director for uh, Red Rocks Community College. And I also noticed on your bio that you are completing your doctorate in community college leadership from Ferris State University in, in Michigan. Uh, that's, that's a heck of a task to say the least, uh, especially since um, as you're working and you're attending school and you're raising a family and you're doing all these other things, or in other words, you're now a typical college student, it seems like for today. How has that experience going back to school and working on your finishing and getting your terminal degree, how does that help you as an academic leader? Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I, I'll tell you what, it's, it's completely opened my eyes to the, the power and the convenience of a, a blended academic delivery model, right? Understanding the fact that, uh, you know, I listen, I, I finished my bachelor's degree and I went directly into my master's degree. Okay, so I had my master's degree at 24, right? <laughs> I decided then to take 25 years off and uh, before going back to my doctorate, which was probably the dumbest thing I could have ever done. But, uh, you know, so be it, right? And uh, I remember my very first class in the, in the doctorate program, I had never been on an online platform before, a discussion board, a, a dashboard, any of that stuff. It was just APA format. I had no idea what they were talking about. I had to Google it just to find out um, and quickly learn it, by the way. So um, I think it really has opened my eyes to uh, one, adult learners who are coming back and what they're going through and all the trials and tribulations of balancing a work life and a family and everything else. But I also, um, I appreciate the fact now, I think a little bit more um, about this this amazingly powerful vehicle that we have, right? Between a blended format and, because uh, like in my doctor program, you know, every, every class was, uh, it was linear in design. So every class was eight weeks long. You, um, you go about the second week, you all come together for three days. And then after that, the rest of it was online. And then the next class and you go through the same routine. Uh, so I, you know, I did get to see the kind of the whole thing laid out in front of me and it, it was, you know, daunting, but, uh, but it also really, uh, it also made me appreciate just how disciplined you have to be to be successful. So, um, I think it, so, you know, it gave me a better understanding what students are actually going through. Um, I think it also, uh, in, in one way, Dave, it really, it's also given me a better understanding and appreciation for the the hard work that our faculty do, especially now. I mean, we're asking our faculty right now because of COVID to teach in multiple modalities all at the same time. <laughs> so, I mean, we have some faculty who are teaching, uh, you know, Zoom with some kids in the classroom, some not in the classroom, then there's online. And, and then because of the spacing, our labs are smaller. So maybe we have, now they're having labs twice a week because they can only have half as many students. I mean, oh, what a nightmare for them. And so um, I, I truly appreciate and kind of marvel at, at how they've been able to, to do so darn well and, and get through all that. So yeah, it's been, it's been you know, busy. <laughs> I won't say that. I, I won't say it hasn't been hard at times, but, uh, but it's also rewarding. And, uh, 
and I, and I do uh, feel feel good when I talk to the students that that I actually can relate a little bit when they're uh, you know complaining. I'm like, yeah, I, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think that's a nice. I've been there. I think students like to hear that because sometimes they don't. They think that you you went to school 30 years ago and you just you don't know what it's like today. And it's like, nope, just putting on my paper today. So I do understand. That's that would be very cool. Very cool. Yes. Um, so the other thing I know, I so you know, uh, like uh, like all my guests, I kind of research you guys and try to figure out about you. And that was your background was really interesting to me because because I started learning. Holy cow! You know. In a previous life, you were a mayor, a county commissioner, a school board member, a city council member. So, man, those are some public office caps that you're wearing there. So um, how, how have those positions helped you develop your leadership style today? Yeah, I like to call myself a recovering politician. That's why <laughs> it's good to have those days behind me. Uh, yeah, I, you know, one, I loved I love the service uh, during those times. I'm a big local government guy. Uh, I really believe in that. Uh, I'm just as frustrated as everyone else at the, uh, uh, the how, how things work on the federal level and even at the state level sometimes. But uh, local government, I think you get a lot done. And I think you get a lot of good people that are just there for all the right reasons. So, um, you know, it, those roles have been pivotal, okay, uh, in my growth, pivotal. And so I, I can tell you right now, I am a much better listener than I ever would have been because in those roles, I, I remember when I was mayor, I had one city council member who just, he would just get so uptight every meeting during public comment because when you're, when you're there on the dais, okay, there's always the naysayers. There's always a couple of people that show up every meeting during public comment and basically just call you a bunch of idiots and you're jerks and you're crooks and they, you're, you know, and, and they talk for three to five minutes because that's what you allow them and you thank them and then they go away and they come back the next week. And I remember Tom, Tom, great guy, but Tom would get just so angry. Right. And uh, so I remember after one really very vicious uh, public comment section. You know, we took a little break and uh, and Tom came up to me and he's all just angry. And he's like, how could you let him, because I was mayor, so I, you know, and he, he, he's like, how could you let him just talk to you like that? And I'm like, I looked at him and I said, Tom, we're the idiots that ran for these positions, okay? Nobody put a gun to your head. All right, they're allowed to say whatever they want. If they go over the line, I'll stop them. But really, it's just their opinion. They're allowed to say it. You know, and he, I said, you got to get a thicker skin. And he, he said to me, uh, he goes, well, yeah, but your skin's like alligator skin. You don't get upset at all. And, and I'll tell you, I, I had to learn that it was, it didn't start that way. And, uh, and that really bodes well for, let me tell you, it bodes really well as I moved up the ladder and, uh, um, because you know, every day, you, got, you know, it's one thing when you're vice president, you're in charge of one, section or a piece of the pie of the overall institution but as president and all you got to do as a vp is just you know focus on your area and really lobby for it right but as president you know you got to sit back and you got to do what's best for the institution as a whole and while the vp may be right and it may be a good thing sometimes you just can't do it there's other priorities that need to be take place so um people you know feelings get hurt and People get upset and things, and so I think um, 
I said listening, right? So being a better listener and understanding where they're coming from, let people say what they need to say, get it off their chest, you know? For the most part, people, they fall in line and they, uh, but, but as long as they feel like you actually did listen and hear them. So, so that was the first one. The second, um, I became a much better collaborator because, um, you know, I, I, I told them when I was interviewing here at Miles that, uh, they, you know, they ask you what your strengths are and things. And, and, you know, they always expect you to say the same stuff. And I told them, I said, you know, I think my biggest strength is I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And I'll never lie to you about what I don't know. If I don't know, I'm just going to tell you. But the great thing about it is we've got a bunch of content experts, right? And um, I don't need to know, but I need to know who knows. And I need to be smart enough to listen to them and pull them into those meetings. And so, um, and so that collaboration really has gone a long way. I've been able to get some amazing things done that, that never would have ever. Um, in fact, the, the elementary education thing, I didn't come up with that. My VP didn't come up with that and neither did our cabinet. Um, that came from a faculty member who had the interest. I'm volunteering at the county fair booth for the college. So were they. They bent my ear for about two hours about it. I'm like, this is genius. We, how do we get this done? And we've been able to get it done. So I think, um, yeah, I think that collaboration and listening, it just goes a long way. Then lastly, and I'll, I'll dive into my uh, doctoral studies here for you. So uh, leadership style. So I'm a big believer. I, I love the research of, uh, of Bowman and Deal. They did research around leadership frameworks and they interviewed 500 managers and they, they analyzed the framework from which they approach their work, okay? And they came up with four of them. They're the four, and we all have all these, but um, but there's four. There's structural, human resource, political, and symbolic. So structural is very uh, nuts and bolts, black and white, dualistic, military. You know, uh, you know, a CFO is a structural, right? They, it's, stuff needs to add up, right? Um, human resource filter, our framework is about you hire good people, you support them, and you let them do the job, right? And, and as long as you're hiring good people and really being giving them what they need to um, be successful, the whole institution is going to succeed. Um, political, it's it's really about uh, leveraging resources, but it, but it can be in a win uh, or else. When there's winners and losers, and by golly, we're going to be a winner and and so forth. Um, and then the symbolic one is those leaders think that you just kind of set a vision out forward and it'll be so compelling that people will rally to it, okay? Um, so I, um, I'm human resource, very human resource. And actually, I think my uh, um, executive team really appreciates this. Rarely am I in the weeds, rarely, okay? I mean, I don't need to know how that works. What I need to know is what do you need from me and Trust me, if, if all hell breaks loose and um, I'm going to get involved because I, I need to, you know, um, but uh, for the most part, I'm going to let you do your job. Right. And I'm just going to try and support you. So that is my number one. I'm um, second one is symbolic. I, I'd like to have a vision. Where are we going? What are we trying to do? And then uh, uh, but also closely tied that is uh, political. And I think my political thing is, you know, I'm. I'm savvy enough to realize that, hey, you need the resources. You got to ask people for money. You got to, you know, you got to pull the right people in. So what's hilarious is my my least is by far is structural. 
So, so whatever you do, do not ask me to do your taxes and do not ask me to um, do all the financials for the college because they're going to be a disaster. All right. Because um, I don't enjoy it. And don't ask me to write one policy, not one, because it's going to be the worst policy you ever saw in your life. So, um, but those, that's, that's kind of my leadership style. You know, you got good listener, good collaborator, rater, and, uh, and, and really want to empower people. Very good. Um, well, let's go ahead and talk about your year one as a community college president. So the first thing I want to ask you is let's talk about those first 90 days when you first showed up. That's almost before COVID. Uh, I think COVID, we started getting involved with it in March, but I'm interested in what were you focusing on the most when you first stepped on campus? So uh, I, I got a great story for you. So one of my trustees, uh, when they hired me, okay, so I'm, I'm not on a job more than a week or two. And we're at an event, you know, because early on you go to a ton of events, you're meeting people and you're just trying to kind of get a lay of the land. And, and I remember him, uh, his name's Jamie, and I remember Jamie pulling me aside one night, we're at some sort of social event. And he goes, you know, I've told everybody that any monkey can do this job for the first year. <laughs> that um, because, you know, we got a good exec team and and you really can't screw it up. So, you know, don't worry about things. Just kind of learn to lay a land run. And, you know, and I thought it was hilarious. Right. I'm laughing. It's a well, you know, we didn't realize when he said that, I kid you not, six weeks later, COVID came. OK. <laughs> and, and so six weeks later, I had to make the decision to go to remote learning. I had to send students away from our buildings and our campus. I had to move kids out of residence hall. And, and we had to, I mean, I mean, talk about, I mean, you know, I, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm a little bit better than the monkey. And I, and I think, uh, uh, so the most rewarding part of that conversation was probably about two months later, you know, we've, we've gotten through most of spring semester. We successfully did that. And, uh, um, and I remember Jamie at one of the uh, board meetings, he even said uh, on record um, that, you know, I remember telling you that any monkey could do this job. <laughs> he goes, but I just want to let you know, I think you've just done a phenomenal job. And, and, uh, um, and, and you know, part of that's just because he's right. We had a really good executive team, really good leadership team. And I was able to thank God we did. And because uh, it was unprecedented times trying to figure it out, you know, anybody that tells you they knew what they were doing was lying. I mean, we were winging it. We were winging it. We were making the best decisions we could with the best information we had at that, that day, which was so fluid that it was changing literally by the hour at times. So, um, so, so with that, that those first 90 days is a little crazy, but you know, I mean, the first 30 days, he's right. I mean, it's honeymoon everyone's shaking hands, kissing babies and you know, everybody wants to meet you and it's nice and so forth. Second few day, uh, second month, you really are trying to uh, slowly get to know your team. Right. And, and I think there's a, I think one of the hardest things to do is really understanding the full expectations that are upon you as a college president. There are so many, different constituencies, right? There's your faculty, your staff, your students, your alumni in a small community like this, the community, right? Economic development, workforce, and uh, they're all coming at you and they all have a right to come at you. And they, cause everything means that much to the community. They, they in a small 
a town like this, I mean, it's important. A college needs to succeed because it's a huge employer. It's a huge economic driver. Um, they want, I mean, I remember I was asked over and over in May and June, are you guys going to be open face to face in the fall? People wanted to know because we have 175 students that live on campus and those 175 students buy groceries and they go buy Starbucks and or Harris City Brew, right? And they, uh, uh, I mean, it's important. It's economics. And uh, um, and I remember every time I, I would say to them, you're darn right we are. We're going face to face in the fall. And, and I did not have one person literally say, you know, give me anything but relief. They were so happy about that. So um, I, I think, yeah, I think understanding those expectations and and it was really rewarding knowing um, people understood the value of the college and, and trying to understand what I could do there. So um, I think another lesson in those first, uh, oh gosh, 90 days and, and even the first six months really, um, the importance of leading. Um, there, you know, <laughs> I, I tell people all the time, you know, we're, we're not going to have the same meeting twice. There, there's nothing that'll kill morale more than, than rehashing and rehashing and you're three months, four months, six months, and you're still talking about the same stuff because you're unwilling to pull the trigger. I, I actually have had bosses like that and it was the most horrific brain damaging experience and I refuse to be that way and I so I always have that joke like uh listen we're going to make a decision I want everybody get on a bus we're going that direction I just I promise you we're going to move forward but don't worry I'm not such an egomaniac that I won't change directions if I realize that we're going down the wrong road but by golly we're moving forward and um I think people that really resonated with people. I think, uh, especially during uh, uh, COVID, for sure. I think people appreciated the fact that they knew we were going to be decisive, and we also were um, were not going to uh, not be flexible enough to have to change if we needed to. So, then I think um, I think it's important for people to know that you care that it that it's it's not about you. You know, it's a pretty heady position being a college president. People you know, they treat you differently and they're nice to you, even though they might not like you, you know, because they have to, which is fine. I think, um, but I think just being a good human being gets you a long way. So I, I will tell you, when we sent away our faculty and staff and students, one of the first things I did within the first uh, two weeks was I, now remember, I can do this because we only have 67 full-time employees. I literally called every single employee at their home. And I asked them three questions. Uh, you know, how are you? How are you doing? How's your loved ones? And what can the college do to support you? Is there anything else we can do, right? Um, I tell you what, I think I got more goodwill out of those phone calls than, than anything, because I think people most time, um, every time they were so thankful I called. And, and Second, they, they were literally just so thankful that they still had a job because they had so many loved ones that weren't working um, and that the college, you know, and one of the things we said right out of the gate was that our entire goal is we're going to finish the semester and everyone's employed. I don't want anyone to worry about being laid off, RIF, reduction in force, none of that. We are moving forward. And so 
Um, I think putting people at ease really went a long way and let them know that we cared. Um, so, you know, th those are, those all ended up being that first 90 days, which I'm telling you, worst day I've ever had in higher ed was when I had to make the decision that we were closing campus, right? And, and start sending people away. That was, that was awful. I remember yeah. that. I remember locking the doors and going home that night, not knowing when I was going to be back in the building, right? And, or the buildings. And, um, and I, it was a pretty dark time. It was pretty, you know, bad. So luckily though, I'm a, I'm an extrovert, so I could only work from home about a week and a half and I couldn't stand it anymore. I couldn't stand myself. I had to get out of the house. So, so I, uh, I started sneaking back in. Uh, and then, uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it was just a crazy, crazy time to start. That, that That's really a, an interesting story about calling your faculty and staff, just seeing how they're doing. I, I know Boy, I, that would be something I would sure appreciate. That would that that's an excellent idea. So, what what a nice morale booster to say the least during times when you don't know what's going on. So, thanks, I appreciate. It. Well, and you got to remember, they didn't know me from Adam, but they had no idea who I was even yet. And uh, uh, so, you know, hopefully, I got some. You know, she got to show them who I actually am and build a little goodwill there. Yeah, you know, I, I noticed. Uh, during that time frame when you said you had to send people home, you know, we, I was kind of in the same boat, except the other thing also was, oh, by the way, faculty, for those who aren't doing online, you're going to have to learn how to do online in the next few days. And I, I've never, you know, it was so neat to watch all the faculty at, at every school step up yeah. and really work hard to get their programs moving forward online. So yeah, that was an interest. We'll be talking about that for years from now. Yeah, it was, it was fascinating. And, you know, Dave, I think we all have stories of those faculty members who prior to that had told you, I'll never teach an online class. And if I ever have to, I'm retiring and blah, blah. Well, they, they obviously still want to teach, right? And so we had several of those. And, uh, and I think they're better for it now. And I think they'll actually even admit it now, even though it's still not their preferred mode. Um, they, they, they adjusted and they did a great job. Um, so what were some of the, what were some of your big accomplishments that first year? So yeah, in the past thanks. year, what's the big hurrahs that you got? Well, I think, I, I tell you what, I think our initial COVID response, I think we were decisive. Um, I, I remember, uh, you know, it's crazy. I, I absolutely uh, will admit I was one of the people that uh, when COVID was first, you know, you're hearing the whispers and stuff. And uh, um, I, I was like, yeah, it's not going to be that bad. It'll be fine. You know, I'm sure it'll be fine. And, and so I literally, Dave, I, I was in Arizona watching our baseball team play. They were down there for spring break and training and they're playing a bunch of games. And that's when all hell broke loose. <laughs> and uh, I immediately realized like, wow, I probably should be back in Montana. <laughs> and so um, I literally, uh, I, I'll never forget, I was on the phone, cell phone, in the Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport, talking to my exec team. We were back here at Miles City um, in, in the conference room, and we were talking about this, and it was just a mess, right? And, uh, um, and I looked up at one of the TV monitors, and I saw scrolling across the bottom, NCAA tournament cancels. That literally triggered me like, okay, <laughs> not the smartest guy in the room, but this is for real. 
because that's a billion dollar venture and they just pulled the plug. Okay. We're Miles Community College. We better kind of take this serious. So um, I, I remember literally telling the entire team because they were kind of going back and forth on what to do. And I said, guys, just stop. Just stop. I said, just listen. Here's what we're going to do. Okay. We're shutting it down. The students are on the spring break right now. Send messages to them. Stay home. Okay. We're immediately going to remote learning. I, and I told our athletic director, I said, pull all the teams back. And I don't want any team leaving our city. And I don't want anyone competing anywhere. Get them back. Right. And um, so we did. And I got back the next day. And um, so literally, I, you know, I had some people pretty upset that I wasn't allowing the athletics to move forward and, and so forth. And, and I just told them, I said, guys, we're, we're shutting it down. We're just shutting it down. That's what we have to do. And and I had a bunch of people, you know, um, and a couple of my trustees actually who just hired me, remember, like three months earlier. And they're like, are you sure? I don't know. This may not and so forth. And I literally said to them, I said, guys, the NCAA tournament just got canceled. Okay. Do you not think the NJCAA is going to have to do that same thing? I go, I realize they haven't yet, but they're going to, and they're going to within a day. And two days later, the NJCAA pulled the plug. Right. And so, um, and I had a board member, God bless him, call me up and go, how'd you know? And I, and I, I started laughing with him. And, I, and by then I, you know, when you're in a foxhole, so I'm going to get to know him a little bit better. And I, I said, listen, I go, <laughs> I said, we're not playing checkers. I mean, we're not playing chess. We're playing checkers. Okay. <laughs> this is not that complicated when you really, you got to look at the landscape and do it. And so we were the, we were the first ones to, to stop athletics. We were the first ones to, uh, um, send people away. We were the first ones to, uh, um, in fact, we, and, and we were able to convert all of our classes to remote delivery, um, in two days. So, uh, it was amazing. Right. And, uh, so we literally, um, coming back after spring break, uh, yeah, it was remote, but it, it was only by Wednesday. They were supposed to start on Monday by Wednesday, we were up and running. And, uh, um, so yeah, you know, that was a big win. That was a big win. And then I think our ongoing response, cause you know, every day things just changed, right? And new, I think we did a good job there. I think we did an excellent job communicating. Um, and then I think the, you know, the last thing, I think our planning for fall worked. I mean, we face-to-face -face and um, we had very few complications. In fact, we had less complications for our students. We had a harder time keeping our faculty and staff on campus because you know they're going home at night right and they're interacting and i mean i only have 67 full-time employees at one point i had 11 of them at home right four had covid the other ones all were just contact tracing or their kids were home or you know so forth so it was um so fall was a little crazy and spring is going to be a nightmare because you know God bless them. All those athletic teams are going to be playing in spring. So I got teams coming and going and, you know, the chances of exposure are just exponentially higher, uh, but we'll get through it. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get through it. So I was pretty happy with all that, but, but the other part is, you know, during this whole mess, we're still able to move the college forward. We started meat processing. We're moving forward with um, elementary ed engineering. I mean, I, I think we're still a college and we need to act like one. And we need, we need to still do our work and not just have a pity party, you know? So, uh, so I'm, I'm pretty, pretty proud of that.
yeah, that, that's that's a really good point. What about um, uh, lessons learned? In other words, uh, anything that you wish you would have known when you first became president? And, yeah. and I can't let you say COVID. That just I'm not right. going to. I'm not going to. I guarantee it. The, uh, um, so uh, one of the things, and this was, uh, someone had mentioned it to me. I, one of the nice things in my previous role was that I got to know the other community. I was in Colorado, and I got to know um, the other community college presidents very well. There's 13 of them in part of the community college system in Colorado. So, um, and I remember after I got this position, that, you know, a lot of them sent me really nice notes congratulating. And one called, and, and we had a really lovely conversation. And she just, I remember her saying, uh, well, just remember, Ron, there's no throwaway comments as, as a president. And I, and I remember, oh, yeah, you know, thinking I knew what she was talking about. I had no idea what she was talking about. Um, so, uh, now I know, because she's right. You know, you can't just make an off-the-cuff statement. You can't just throw something out there. You know, as a VP, you got a lot of latitude because you're a funny guy or you're the guy that's going to have the zinger. You, you don't do that as president because um, words matter. And people hear that, and it's coming from the CEO of the organization. So somebody might take it a lot, a lot more serious than what you thought. So, um that was a huge lesson for me. I think the second one was um, I tend to be a, a, an external processor. I like to throw ideas out and let the room, let's talk through it and stuff. I actually joke about it all the time. I am an idea guy. I have hundreds and hundreds of idea. Most of them are terrible, okay? <laughs> but I process out loud because I wanted people to tell me why they're terrible because I don't know. Again, I don't know what why that's not a good idea. Um, and I can't do that. I, I, I had to completely change the way I do that. Now I listen first and then I let everybody give their input. And then at the end I've listened and I kind of process and then I'll say, okay, thanks for your input. This is what we're going to do. And then I'll just tell them and then we go. And um, so that's been a huge lesson for me because I didn't realize that I could do that. Um, because actually the big joke, uh, we joke about all the time now, uh, now that, you know, 11 months in. So uh, on my executive team, you know, there's uh, seven of us and uh, five of them are internal processors. They, they need time to think about it. They need time. You, know, you can't just spring something on them. So, um, and that's different for me. I'm, let's, let's talk it through. And uh, so that, that was a lesson to understand your team better. And then the next thing is, uh, you know, I, I think, again, I think collaboration is important, but don't be afraid to lead. During times of crisis, people need you to be decisive. They need, and they need decisions. They need decisions now. And, um, and, and, you know, I'm not the best looking guy and I'm sure in the hell not the smartest, but I can make a decision. So we can, uh, um, and, and so that's what we do. And, and we move forward. So. I think those are probably the three biggest lessons I learned. Those are those are pretty good lessons. I'm kind of jotting those down on the side. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Um, so let's talk about future stuff. You know, higher ed mm -hmm. has really changed, you know, as we've talked about. It's changed over the last eight months just because of COVID. But, you know, I think we've taken this next step. So where do you think higher ed is going to be five, ten years from now? How do you think yeah. it's going to evolve? I'm really, I, I'm glad you asked that because um, I, these are, 
<laughs> you know, COVID sucks, right? We all we all think COVID sucks, but 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 COVID's also given us some gifts, okay? And especially for higher ed, which traditionally has the uh, response rate of a snail, right? Uh, uh, we're we're not nearly as agile as we need to be. So, um, I think one of the gifts is uh, it's moved higher education along much more quickly than we normally would have um, with our deliver modes of delivery, our understanding of a mixed method much better. I think we're gonna be so much better. I think you're gonna see so much more aggressive um, formatting and um, delivery and people being much more flexible as far as uh, how to deliver things, right? And I think our students are gonna be so much better off for that. And, and I think actually, I think our institutions are also. Um, I think another thing is I think we've had to reconsider our complete, uh, all of our facilities master plans. Um, in fact, I, I literally said to our uh, board at a retreat in June, I said, here is our current facilities master plan. Let's just flush this sucker down the toilet because it's about as good as toilet paper right now because it's still the brick and mortar model. And I think we need to, before, and I literally said to them, you aren't going to see me come to you with a brick and mortar project in the next three to five years because, um, and if I do, you should fire me because what we need is technology. What we need is understanding this new model and we're, we're moving forward to the college. So, um, so I think, I think we have to reconsider that. You know, um, instead of a $60 million capital campaign and a project, maybe it needs to be a 5 million technology campaign, right? Oh, that's an interesting point, yeah. So um, I, I think it also is, a, is a forcing us to re-engage our collaborative educational pathways, um, what we're trying to do with the University Center model. And I think uh, um, there's a ton of models out there. And uh, I think it's, it's allowing people to understand that, hey, we're all in this together, you know? And I, I mean, I remember talking with uh, uh, the provost, uh, Steve Gammons over at uh, Montana Tech about the engineering. And, and he literally said, he goes, Ron, you know, obviously Montana Tech would love to get all 120 um, credit hours, but if we only get 60 of them, that's 60 more than what we'd have got if the kid never came here to begin with, right? And if we get the other 60, everybody wins. You know, so uh, I think understanding that, I think we've always in higher ed, just through the funding mechanism, I mean, we fight for these student FTEs, like they're, you know, gold. And we, and, and I think the more we can get away from that model and understand a, a shared benefit, um, that's good. And I think along those lines, you know, why wouldn't we get to a place where, um, let's say, let, we use Montana Tech as the, so let's say that if we get this two and two pathway, uh, eventually we get another one and we're like one course short. Well, why wouldn't we figure out a way of, hey, Montana Tech, how about letting our seven students uh, into your Zoom engineering or, or calculus four, right? Um, let us zoom in and I'll pay you 50 bucks per seat, right? Why? Instead of us fighting over the FTE. I mean, there's just ways of doing this where they benefit because it's now offsetting the cost of the instructor or their technology. We're benefiting because it's getting the kid on that transfer pathway, keeping them on track to eventually land there. So why wouldn't we be more creative instead of us going back and, well, oh, no, they got to be our student and they got to be FTE. And so I, I think we're going to see that, uh, that 
figured out here in the next five, 10 years, um, hopefully, sooner, hopefully. Um, a lot more work in transfer partners, workforce partners, better understand the value proposition of education. You know, I think uh, it's easy. I mean, think about this, think about it. Uh, who the essential workers didn't necessarily have college degrees. The right. ones that were out there working, okay, they were, you know, they were running heavy equipment. They were uh, plumbing, they were electrical, they were construction, okay. Um, that doesn't bode well for uh, a lot of our value proposition that we talk about. So I think we need to, to understand exactly what that means and to be able to sell that a little bit better. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I guess we've kind of come to the close here, Ron. Okay. Do you have anything else you want to add? Um, you know, I, I, I will just say this. So, uh, first of all, thanks. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you, Dave. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I was, I was honored that you even thought of me. So, um, I, I will say this. You know, my dissertation work, which I'm, I'm all but dissertation right now, and I'm hoping to defend in the uh, next couple months, and, uh, you know, is on first-time community colleges, uh, presidents, okay, and kind of their transition and, and pathway to those roles. And, you know, we know we have over 1,100 community colleges throughout the nation, and we know that in the next 10 years, 50% of them are going to turn over CEOs, right? We also know that the people who normally would take those roles um, are retiring also. Your, your vice presidents, we, we're having a tremendous amount of people retiring who uh, those pathways normally would be filled by. So what I think we're going to see is that, um, that we're going to see a tremendous amount of people not coming just from the traditional instruction pathway, you know, a faculty member, a dean, a VP, and moving on up. I think you're going to see people coming from, uh, you know, I, I was in institutional advancement. That was my uh, VP uh, experience. And uh, even though my master's is in student success, higher, you know, um, I think, uh, I think you're going to see a lot more of that because I think as funding tightens up, um, you need resource development. You need, as uh, enrollment numbers for high schools and things go down, you're going to need to develop partnerships to still get your students and things. So mm -hmm. uh, I think you're going to see that. And I think it's also going to be more about the right fit for the institution than anyone's individual specific background. What does that institution need at this moment? I joke about it all the time that you know, I may not have been the right person 10 years ago or five years ago, but I'm the right person today, I think. And, um, and but I'm not, you know, it's such an egomaniac that I realized that five years from now or 10 years from now, I might not be the same, I might not be the right person that what uh, Miles Community College needs at that time. Yeah. And that's okay. That's yeah. okay. Um, so I, th I think it's, it's understanding that and honoring that. So um, all these, you know, lessons that we're, are moving forward and learning, you know, brave new world. We're all just trying to figure it out. So, um, but I'm excited, you know, I'm excited for our future here at MCC and uh, excited to be in the position. So. Yep. And we are so happy to have you at Miles Community College and being part of the Montana University system here in Montana. So, well, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. Thanks, Dave. Take care. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.